Good to see you all. This is like me preaching twice in a row. I know you're all wondering what is going on. Mike's preaching twice in a row. And you're, you know, next week I'll be preaching again. So that's three times in a row. You're going to be sick of me. My pastor friends are going, Mike, don't strain yourself, man. Be careful. You're preaching again? Two weeks in a row? We're worried about you, man. I tend to think it's because I am more collegial in my leadership style. I'm not as stuck in myself as they are. And I feel like I don't believe that I have a corner on the truth that is shared rather among a wide body of people. So there you go. That's my, that's my apology. So anyway, um, been thinking a lot lately about the beginnings of Scum of the Earth Church. I don't know if any of you had the good fortune of seeing or meeting or knowing Reese Roper, my founding co-pastor. But if you do know anything about Reese, you know that he was a brutally honest guy. I think that's one of the reasons that Five Iron Frenzy was so popular, is because they found in the lyrics that Reese would write he was the primary lyricist for the band. Leonor actually was one of the lyricists as well. But in Reese's lyrics, he was honest. He was true. Even if the lyrics made himself look like a jerk. As a matter of fact, if you ever asked for an autograph and were lucky enough to get one from Reese, he would very often sign it J E. R.K. <laughs> it's one of those things about Reese that endeared him to me. He was the guy who knew his shadow side. And I really felt like I could trust him. We had a simpatico. We had a fellowship, for lack of a better word, that was based on the fact that we both knew we were sinners in need of a Savior. And I think that um, over the last 11 years, I have spoken during sermons about some of the kinds of things that one does not normally hear from a preacher or church. I've spoken about my convoluted path vocationally and the many mess-ups I've had, failures here and there. I've talked about the problems that my beautiful wife Mary and I have had through the course of our 33-year marriage the struggle to try and love one another with the kind of agape love that is talked about in 1 Corinthians 13. I've been open about finding myself involved in an emotional affair with a woman at work at one point in my life and how I went to confess that whole thing to my pastor and how by the grace of God... I was averted from what certainly would be a disaster, not only to my life, but my future as well. Not only to my marriage, but to my future as well. I feel like I failed as a father on numerous occasions. I've kind of written about that a little bit. As Kimberly Skulton Hyde said to me just last week, Mike, your self-deprecating sermons are your best. 
Obviously, my transparency has not gone unnoticed. And so over the years, from visitors at Scum of the Earth, I have received a fairly consistent compliment. And it goes like this. You guys are so real. And then people have used words like genuine, authentic, honest, raw, edgy, those kinds of words. And I think that is a compliment because what it says to me is that the ethos of Scum of the Earth Church is something that is deep in my heart. This whole idea of, of walking in the light, of being transparent about who you are. My feeling was if I could model a life with all of its warts visible, then people who came to be part of our fellowship would look at my life and go, gee, well, Mike messed up, and he still follows Jesus, so maybe I can mess up, and I can still follow Jesus. I don't know if you've had this experience, but I've had just the opposite effect on me when Christians share their successes. When they share how wonderful life is, how God has blessed them financially, how they never have a problem in this area or that area, I just slink away going, oh, God, I'm just not good enough for primetime Christianity. And so I want to speak about that ethos tonight. It has its roots in a passage of Scripture well, throughout the Bible, actually. But where I want to camp for the sake of this message is the first letter from the Apostle John, chapter 1. So if you look on the wall behind me, or if you open up your Bibles to that passage, we'll read together. That which was from the, from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Now life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. My dear children... I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, 
and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. All right, so I want you to take about 30 seconds. If you were to title this passage of Scripture, what would you title it, okay? Just think about that. Share it with the person next to you, okay? Okay, you got that? That was actually not planned. I was just trying to turn on that fan. I thought I would include you while I went and did that. But it didn't work. See, this is me modeling walking in the light with you. I'm just telling you the truth right up front. I'm not that spiritual. Okay. Let's go from the beginning. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes. In other words, he's talking about somebody that he's actually encountered in real life. So it's the Apostle John talking about, okay, class, who is he talking about? Jesus. Jesus. Very good. The answer is always Jesus. All right. This we proclaim concerning the word of life, the life appear, we have seen it and testify. We proclaim to you with the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. Fellowship. It's one of those Christian words. Fellowship. I remember when we first had our meetings to decide what scum of the earth would look like, that word came up, and it came out during one of the brainstorming sessions. We cannot use the word fellowship, Mike. <laughs> fellowship, for anybody who's grown up in church, means bad coffee and stale cookies. <laughs> That's what it means, after church. And so let's use hangout time instead. Let's use that hangout. And, and, and so the question is, Do you want to hang out with Jesus? Do you want to hang out with the apostles? Do you want to hang out with the body of believers? Because this is John's desire. John's desire for writing this so far is so that we can hang out with him and with Jesus. So, fellowship. It needs a little broader terminology than that. Um, I'm going to use a, a definition I found on Wikipedia for Motley Crew because when I think of this church, I think of a Motley Crew, not the band so much, although that isn't really out of the picture, but a Motley Crew in traditional form is this. 
It can be seen as a roughly organized assembly of characters akin to J.R.R. Tolkien's The Fellowship of the Ring. Non-uniform and undisciplined as a group, they are characters of conflicting personality, varying backgrounds, and usually to the benefit of the fellowship, they use a wide array of methods to care for each other and overcome adversity. And I'll add this, Christian fellowships are those people who have banded together to follow Jesus and to accomplish his tasks on the earth. So it's not just about hanging out. Christian fellowship is about a relationship with Jesus, a relationship with the motley crew of believers, and trying to follow the things that Jesus has for us on the earth. That would be fellowship for my definition purposes today. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. So it's all about being joyful. It's, it's, it's not a sad thing. Fellowship is a wonderful thing. It is the sweetest part of my Christian life. I can tell you that right now. The last 11 years of being with you guys is, so far, the sweetest part of my fellowship life so far. It's been wonderful. The apostle goes on. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Okay, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, then you have to agree with this statement. God is light. When John says that God is light, he's just picking up a theme that has been repeated over and over and over again from God's earliest dealings with the people on this planet. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses sees God in a bush that is burning but does not get burned up. It's some kind of light that he sees inside the bush. Later on in the same chapter, in the same book, in Exodus 13, God's presence is a fire by night as it illumines the way for the people of Israel to escape their Egyptian captors and to go worship God in the wilderness. Every night, a pillar of fire leads the way. Some strange ethereal light. I don't know what it looked like. I mean, I think it probably was cooler than the fire you get when you burn leaves in the fall. I think about it more as like the light you see when you go to a science fiction movie, you know? When you go see Thor and you get to see Asgard and they always have that strange light going everywhere. Something more on that end of the spectrum, but beyond. When the uh, first tent for God is erected, the tabernacle, God's dwelling place in humanity. God's presence is uh, signified by golden lampstands that burn continually. We're told that in the Holy of Holies there was the Shekinah of God, the glory of God that shone brightly. 
cooler than anything you ever saw in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Fire brings light. And so God is described as light. Psalm 104 says God wraps himself in light as with a garment. Elsewhere, the psalmist says, let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. When Jesus is born and presented in the temple in Jerusalem, Simeon, the old prophet, comes up. And he talks about this baby being a light of revelation for God's people and for the Gentiles. The writer of the Gospel of Matthew, the tax collector, summed up Jesus' messiahship in terms of a great light in the darkness. And then Jesus actually said, I am the light of the world. God is light. It is him revealing himself because things are revealed in the light, are they not? Not only does the light itself bright, but it also lets you know what's going on all around you. I mean, it avoids, by it you avoid dangers, and by it you reach your goal. As opposed to if you're trying to stumble about looking for lost keys in the darkness, you can stub your toe on any numbers of pieces of furniture and never find the keys you're looking for. You turn the light on, not only do you avoid stubbing your toe, but you actually get the thing that you desire. Christian musicians have been known to say things like this. Some people write about the light, and that's great. Other musicians write about what they see because of the light, and that's wonderful as well. The truth of relationship with God is that we cannot determine on our own what that relationship is going to look like. God has to do that. Let me repeat this. Relationship with God is always on his terms, not on ours. And walking in the light is a requisite for relationship with God from God's own mouth. Verse 6, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. John is writing to Christians, not to pagans. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Verse hints, verse 6 is a hint that these Christians were leading a double life. Have you ever known Christians who led a double life? We read about them in the paper quite often. Most recently, down in Colorado Springs, we had a pastor who was using crystal meth and having homosexual relationships with his masseuse. 
it was hidden. It was in the darkness. It wasn't exposed to light. I mean, you can go back as far as you want. There are stories like this, and there are stories like this right here in this congregation, right now. There are people here sitting next to you who are hiding a good part of their life or the bad parts of their life. And this is the rub. We cannot claim to have fellowship with God if we walk in darkness. What's it like to live a life where you're leading what amounts to a double life? You can only hold it for so long, you know? I really think, and I've known some of these guys who have, you know, fallen from the pedestals they were put upon. I almost think they wanted to get caught. They were so stupid in the way they went about their sin that it had to come out. You almost want to believe you kept getting more and more and more reckless until finally somebody had to blow the whistle on you. It's almost like you wanted to get caught because this is what happens if you don't get caught in that double life. You will suffer a psychotic break. You cannot continue to live two lives and present yourself as being unified or having integrity. You can't do it. And so you almost want to get caught. Because when you get caught, you got to deal with it. Now, the Christians that John the Apostle is writing to were claiming that sin was unimportant because they were not of this world, they were Christians, and that God just looks on the inward parts of a woman or a man. He knows really what's in your heart, what's in your soul. He knows that you love him. So it really isn't important what you do on the outside because God looks on the inside. Well, here's a clue. God looks at both. And the God of light expects lives that are permeated by such light. The religious life is not just one of meditation where you think about wonderful Christian things. The Christian life is also one of action where you do the truth. Verse 6 is about a continual, habitual walking in the darkness. You do not do the truth is the more literal Greek translation. You don't do it. You talk about it, you don't do it. You're all talk, you're no walk. You're determined to choose sin as opposed to 
choosing God. You're determined to choose darkness as opposed to choosing light. I mean, I know what it's like. There's a moment of decision before you mess up and you decide you're going to do it. You might be in the car on the way home from work and you're thinking about what you're going to do when you get home and it's the wrong thing, but you're thinking about it on the way home from work. You see, you're making a decision. When I get home, I'm going to do this. I'm going to close the door, I'm going to lock it, and I'm going to do that. I'm going to hide it this way. This kind of delusion destroys the fabric of Christian community. Let's look at this more closely. We claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness. We lie and do not live out the truth. When you walk in darkness, you destroy the fellowship that you have with God. I mean, what do you do if you're in this kind of place? What do you, what, what's your hope if you're not only destroying yourself, but you're destroying the fabric of your whole community because you continue to walk in darkness? Verse 7, that's what you do. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. There is a relationship between walking in the light and fellowship. You want to know why people talk about this community as being real when they visit it? It's because historically we have walked in the light about our shadow sides. We're not afraid to share them. When we share them, we have fellowship. We live transparent lives. We have fellowship. You hide parts of your lives. You don't have fellowship. Did you ever have that feeling when somebody really screws up? You're going... I thought I knew her. I thought I knew him. What is this? How could this happen? Where did this come from? Well, it's because you didn't really have fellowship if that person wasn't walking in the light with you. You thought you did, but you didn't. At least not in that area. Verse number 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. I do not envy the Apostle John as a pastor in this particular verse. Because John has the very difficult pastoral task of telling somebody who's trying to make believe like everything is fine, that it's not. I hate this kind of pastoral counseling. I hate it. Because it ultimately results in conflict. You think you're good? I think you're not. 
Do you think you're walking with Jesus? I'm saying you're not going anywhere with Jesus. You're going the opposite direction of Jesus. I'm saying your heart might be full of love. That's great, but there's no truth in it. All right? You got to have both. I'm going to say this twice. It's not just about discounting the gravity of sin. I'm not talking about you just discounting how serious sin is. I don't think any of us understands how grave sin really is, how wicked, how devastating. None of us get it, me included. I will make light of it. I'll make light of the darkness. It's about doubting that sin can injure our relationship with God. That's what I'm talking about. It's not about discounting the gravity of sin. It's about doubting that sin can injure our relationship with God. This is not ignorance. This is not a cover-up. I'm talking about people who not only fail to live by the truth, but now the Apostle John tells us that the truth is not in them. Truth is personal. Truth is Jesus Christ. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life, Jesus said. And no one comes to the Father except by me. Truth is a person. And those who do the truth enjoy living in God's light. Let's go on to verse 9. This is a memory verse. If you haven't memorized this verse, I, I really encourage you. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us or cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's an if-then clause, all right? I did some study in the, in, the, in the Greek text. John's grammar is pretty bad in this particular passage, this particular verse. The main point, the, the crux on which this whole sentence kind of balances is that God is faithful and just. And it would appear from the way that John has constructed the sentence that God's faithfulness and God's justice is conditional on whether you confess or not. So if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just, you might think. And if you don't confess your sins, then God is unfaithful and God's a jerk. That's not what it means, okay? you got to go to the whole of Scripture. you got to go to the rest of the book of First John and Second John and 3rd John and the Gospel of John at least, and then you can go out to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you can go to the rest of the New Testament and the Old Testament, and you get the idea that God is faithful and just, period. But what John is trying to get at is very important. He's saying there's an if-then relationship, and it's in present tense, so that means it's continual. It's not just one time for all. If you confess your sin once, it's over. No, it's like continual present present is always with us. The Greek word for confess here is homo logeo. Homo meaning the same, logeo meaning to say. Homo logeo, to say the same thing. What is confession? It's saying the same thing about our sin that God says about our sin. When you go to confession, if you're Catholic, 
or if you're Anglican, you say the same thing about your sin that God says to the priest. And what is that? You say that it is wicked and that it is forgiven. Confession. Saying the same thing about your sin that God says about your sin. Walking in the light means seeing things the way God sees them and responding the way that He does. When we hate sin and we call it for what it is, ugly and terrible, we agree with God that it's bad and we turn from it, that's confession. Confession is a crucial part of walking in the light. Verse 10. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Okay, I don't think there's anybody here who's going to claim they're without sin. There are those people somewhere who say that. They just use different words for sin. But they're still sinning. Otherwise, this is not a true statement. And it is a true statement. People who claim they have not sinned may not even be Christians at all. That's my opinion. Because it's kind of central to the whole Christian faith. If you're not a sinner, then Jesus died for nothing. Get it? Remember when I was uh, substitute teaching in a Catholic school? Um, you know, it was a Catholic school, so you could talk about God. That was great. And I was a substitute teacher, so as a substitute teacher, you can come in, you can drop bombs, and then leave, and the teacher's got to clean it up. It was a religion class, so I was on fairly, you know, safe ground there. And there was this crucifix. It was like this, only had Jesus on it, right? And so I'm in the front, I'm thinking, I'm going to pull this old evangelical question on them and see what they say. Okay, kids, if you were to die tonight and you went to heaven and you met Jesus at the gate of heaven, okay, Jesus is there with St. Peter, okay? But Jesus is there with St. Peter, and Jesus says to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say to them? And so these kids, they were like, Middle school, high school, I don't remember. They start coming up, well, you know, I've tried to do really good things my whole entire life, and I think I've done more good things than bad things, so the scales are kind of tipped in my direction, and I'm trying to, I'm really nice to my sister, even though she's a real jerk to me, you know, those kinds of things. I'm going, excuse me, look at the wall behind me. Do you see that man hanging on a cross all bloody? What does that mean? We claim we have not sinned. We make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. My dear children, the Apostle Paul, Apostle John concludes, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. That, my friends, is good news. That's really good news. That's really, 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 really good news. And if you're here tonight and you have never come to fellowship, 
with Jesus Christ, God's Son, by whom we have forgiveness of sins, please do so. Talk to somebody here. The person who brought you, um, you know, one of the people on staff, I don't, the people playing in the band, I don't care. Talk to the person next to you. It is why we're here. So if I had to line it out, this is what I think the passage looks like in my own little Mike Sayers diagram. Fellowship with God and other believers requires walking in the light. If you don't have walking in the light, you don't have fellowship, right? But walking in the light requires confession, saying the same thing about our sin that God says about our sin. Confession results in forgiveness. And forgiveness produces in us a purifying effect. It's not just about stopping the sin that we're doing right now. It's about becoming the people we always wanted to be and that God wants us to be even more importantly. It's about cleaning out the crap and not just about cleaning out the crap. It's about replacing it with gold. Walking in the light means living under the controlling desire for God instead of for the world. Now, most of you know that I meet with three other pastors every week and have for about 12 years. We call ourselves the preaching team, but really, it's a fellowship group. If anybody knows all my darkness, all my crap, it's those three guys. Jim Emig from Kiowa Creek Presbyterian Church. Steve Garcia from Celebration Community Church. Les Avery, retired, formerly of St. James Presbyterian Church. You would think I'm Presbyterian, wouldn't you? Those guys keep me accountable. And, and I'm not talking about this notion that somehow accountability keeps you from sinning. Evan Perkins did a paper, and I'm going to read three myths of accountability. He says, accountability is somebody else's responsibility. It's not true. If I want to fool those guys, I can fool those guys. I mean, one of the questions that we normally ask after you get done talking about how your life has been that week, is there anything you haven't told me? Now, I could lie and say, no, everything's fine. Or I could tell, no, actually, there is more. I just was too embarrassed to bring it up. Myth number two, accountability is meant to motivate me to avoid sin. It, it really doesn't. You're going to do it if you want to do it. I mean, there is for a while that shame of having to go and talk to your buddies and let them know that you messed up somehow. You know, you cheated in the taxes, you yelled at your wife, whatever. And they kicked one of your kids. I mean, Whatever. And sometimes knowing that you're going to have to go and tell those guys that stuff prevents you from kicking your child. (laughs) 
But it's not enough. Honestly. Or accountability. Myth number three, accountability is only about some specific sin like anger or addictions or sexual integrity. Accountability is more a process. It's more what I'm calling walking in the light with somebody else. It's, it's fellowship. It's being encouraged along the way. It's being, you know, jumped on. At the end of 2009, I did a sermon where I talked about how the preaching team jumped on my back about forgiving somebody that I did not want to forgive. They jumped on my back. I could have blown them off, but I didn't. But because of our long history, you know, I wrestled with it for a while. It was me that finally made the decision to forgive this guy. And when I did, they were all congratulating me and telling me how much better it would be for me, not just for the guy. It's because I am fully known by them and I am fully accepted by them that the accountability thing actually works. You see, confession always involves transparency, but transparency does not always mean confession. Confession always involves transparency. You've got to tell people what's going on, but just because you're telling people what's going on doesn't mean you're confessing. Doesn't mean you're repenting. You can be transparent about your misdeeds with no remorse and with no intent to change your ways. Walking in the light equals confessing your sins. And I just want to say that I would like to continue being the kind of church that walks in the light. As a matter of fact, I'll say this. I want to walk in the light more than we have been. We will love you. I don't care how dark your darkness, what it is that you're doing to hurt somebody else or hurt yourself, tell us, tell somebody. It's okay. We're going to love you. Better you confess it now than have it come out later and destroy a bunch of stuff, including our fellowship. Now, there are levels of transparency. As one professor told us in preaching class, gentlemen, we were all guys in that class. If you're preaching and you feel like you want to be transparent, don't say that you're lusting after the woman in the third row. Too fresh, too fresh. <laughs> Wrong venue. <laughs> there are appropriate places to share those kinds of nuclear bombs. And it would be in the context of a much smaller, much more committed group. And I tell you, I promise you that once you talk about your lust for the woman, it will begin to dissipate a bit because it's kind of like mold that is put out in the bright sunlight. It starts to die off. There are, there are stains 
that's happened to our clothing. If you've got white t-shirts, they have mildew on them because they've been wet too long and they got that dark kind of splotchy stuff on them. Don't you take them out and put them in the light in the backyard that the sun can bleach out the mildew? Sin is like that. When you confess it, it begins to be transformed. So, application. What do I want, what do I want you to do? Number one, I want us to begin being more honest about our shadow sides. I want us to begin being more honest about our shadow sides. In the appropriate context... First time you meet somebody, you're having dinner downstairs during the service at Scum of the Earth Church, you don't want to talk to them about, you know, your pedophilia. Not a good idea. All right? But begin being more honest. It's okay to share some of your darkness. It's what makes you real. Seek out someone to whom you can confess. A trusted mentor, a friend, a pastor, a counselor, a paid professional licensed counselor, a Catholic priest. It doesn't matter to me. Seek out someone to whom you can confess in confidence. For those things that aren't quite as heavy... Join a small group. I mean, one of the best small groups I've ever been to is a group of married guys who were trying to figure out how to love our brides. We were all fairly new at this married stuff. We didn't know what we were doing. Our wives told us that much. (laughs) And, uh, you know, we could commiserate. We could find out that everybody was having the same struggle. Um, I remember one guy, this is so great. Can't believe I'm going to tell you this. So we're talking about sex and we're, or about the lack of it. And um, one guy who was a Presbyterian pastor, not mentioned so far in this sermon. goes, guys, I'm going to tell you what works. Flannel pajamas. <laughs> Buy her flannel pajamas. We're going, flannel pajamas? He goes, yeah, if you go to Victoria's Secret and you buy her some kind of scratchy, really sexy thing that's uncomfortable that she doesn't want to wear, she's going to know why you bought it. It's for you, not for her. Buy her flannel pajamas. And that night, you will be grateful. (laughs) That's the illustration right there that ate the sermon. Like, nobody will remember anything about what I said tonight, (laughs) except for that story. So join a small group, gentlemen. It might do you good. Or if there isn't a small group you want to join, then talk to Fran about starting a small group. Fran, where are you? Stand up. Raise your hand. There she is. That lady right over there is the one who's in charge of small groups at SCUM and leadership at SCUM. Please talk to Fran. All right. We're going to close in prayer. 
Heavenly Father, let us walk in the light as you were in the light so that we have fellowship with one another. And may the blood of Jesus, your Son, purify us from all sin. We want to be your people. We want to be your motley crew. We want to be in fellowship with you. Because in you, there is no darkness at all, for you are light. And that light is the light of humanity. In Jesus' precious name, amen.